Well, hello again for another episode. This is the Andrew Lake Podcast. And today I'd like to say a few words about the book Inner Engineering by the one and only Sadhguru. <laughs> I got this book for Christmas. And boy, what a blast it is. Talk about knocking it out of the park. You no longer have any excuses as to what's possible with life, with your experience of reality, with your existential understanding. All those huge, big questions, all those feelings that you have, all those confusions that you have, can be answered. They can be displayed. They are set up in this example of this incredible human being that is Sadhguru. I feel like our culture, our global culture at the moment is sort of at the tipping point where it's going to be like, sort of like that game where everyone is sitting around in a circle and someone pokes their tongue out and the last person to do it loses. This is a very funny game if you've ever done it. Because the last person is looking around, seeing that everyone's got their tongue out, and they realize that they're the odd one out. <laughs> and there's that single moment of surprise when they realize they've lost the game. <laughs> I feel like a similar sort of thing is happening with awakening and meditative practices. The internet is old enough now that we have a large spread of cultures and a diverse range of knowledge, and there are enough people who are involved in the information collating that the quality of information is rich enough for you to find out how things work. You can basically piece together more or less a rough structure of how life works if you're smart enough and if you have enough of an edge to do your own research. And Sadhguru is someone, in a sense, that isn't new. There have been people like him throughout history, certain sages and yogis and mystics, but no one quite with his style and no one quite with his ability to be in touch with popular culture. There's also the case that culture has to be ready for these sorts of people. And I think it's about time that people are ready for someone like Sadhguru. And it's obvious the effect that he's having on the culture, that things are changing. And pretty soon, we're going to be sitting around saying, get with the times to those people who aren't awake and aren't aware of meditative practices. Soon they'll be the odd ones out and they'll be left in the dust and they'll be left to catch up. And of course we need to take a compassionate look on these people. We don't need to get on our spiritual high horse and become full of ourselves because of this. But I'm just trying to illustrate that it's great that things are changing and Sadhguru is the beacon of light for spiritual seekers and those that want a deeper experience of life. In this book, Inner Engineering, Sadhguru 
shares his own personal awakening story. And I don't know why, but these days, whenever I hear about an awakening story, I really become emotional. I can feel it right now in my in my heart. A little bit of a tear comes to the eye. Now, awakening stories are not uncommon. There are lots of awakening stories out there. You don't have to go far to find one. And they come in all shapes and sizes and varieties. And they come in all sorts of intensities. Now, Sadhguru's awakening story is one of the most intense and powerful stories that I've ever heard. And of course, I've got my own personal awakening story. I've shared some of them before, to more or less degrees. I still, there's still things I haven't shared. And of course, when I talk about my own personal story, it's very emotional as well, because I lived it. But Sadhguru shares about the time he walked up onto Charmandy Hill, sat down on a rock, closed his eyes, and went straight into a samadhi experience for 13 days straight. This is the sort of stuff that fairy tales are made of. This is the sort of stuff you couldn't even believe. And when he came to, he had no idea how much time had passed. He thought it had been something like 30 minutes because he'd been in such a deep samadhi state. So the samadhi state, or the various forms of samadhi or peak states, there's a whole culture and there's a psychology around the different types and the different degrees and the different characteristics of certain states. But basically what happened to Sadhguru is well explained by certain traditions. So it's not exactly unheard of for human beings to sit down in one place for many days on end without eating or moving or sleeping or doing anything. So it's not entirely uncommon, but it's just incredible to hear that this man lived it and he went through that and what he ended up gaining from that. I wouldn't even know the first thing about trying to explain the ins and outs of those sorts of situations or those sorts of events. But all I can say is that it's a deeply moving account that Sadhguru shares in his book, Inner Engineering. A big component of the book is yogic culture and yogic tradition. So yogis come at the approach of sharing knowledge from their own personal experience. It's all about their own contemplation, their own wisdom, and it's very much heavily centered on the subjective experience. That's basically the foundation of yogic practice. That being said, there are also traditions. So there would be stories, there would be anecdotes, there would be parables, and there would be lessons that come from the yogis that lived in the past. Sadhguru is well aware of these, and he has a very charming way and a very simple way of sharing the insights from past yogis and past traditions and putting his own twist on them, putting his own spin on them. I think now it would also be a nice time for me to mention that the book is very well written. It's very simply written. It's very easy to read language. He has a very clear way of talking. He doesn't get all intellectual. He doesn't get fluffy. He doesn't get complicated. But he does lay it on heavy. 
He doesn't hold back. So it is very confronting. You do have to be, in a sense, ready for a book like this. If you're not aware of yogic culture and yogic traditions, you would easily dismiss them as fantasies or religious beliefs or just myth. And I mean myth in the sense of the word that the atheist used the word, which is not in the sense of mythological thinking as one of your structures of psychological development, but basically myth means lies. So some of the myths, some of the stories that he tells do seem quite hard to believe. For example, he tells of this one yogic master, one yoga master, who missed his train before one of his teaching appointments. So his train was the day before, and it was 47 miles along the tracks. And he ran overnight barefoot on the tracks to make his teaching appointment, and then arrived in his ashram, sat down to teach for something like 18 hours straight, or he was doing some sort of teaching or counseling or something. So he ran the 47 mile track overnight and then done 18 hours straight of teaching. And no one had even known until his companions had caught the train the next day and caught up to him. So these sorts of crazy stories are all throughout this book. Sadhguru also tells incredible stories about himself, certain things about how he hurt his leg when he was on his motorcycle riding and they did an operation on him without anesthetic. Also, certain sicknesses that he's had and certain healing processes that he's gone through. I wouldn't know the first thing about how to describe these things or how to explain these things. And in a sense, he has his own explanations. He has his own ways of describing what it means for us for him to have those experiences. So it's not like he's saying that he's got some magic power. It's more like he's saying that he's had an experience and these are his ideas as to how we can experience a little bit of that or a part of that or to tap into that similar sort of energy or understanding or something like this. And that's really the whole point of inner engineering. It's this translation between his own personal experiences, his spiritual awakening experiences and his powerful life experiences, and also his understanding of the yogic tradition, and then putting those together in order to create a practice or an insight or something that we should do in order to have a little bit of that. And those things help us with our lives. Those things lead us towards more bliss, more ecstasy, and more peace. One thing that is quite common for yogis to do is to revert to Sanskrit and Hindi words. This is common for a few reasons because, first of all, Certain terms and certain translations don't have an exact correlation between English and Hindi. There are certain experiences or certain things that are not 
in or not experienced in the West so that we don't have a word for them. So translations often lose something. They often have a little bit of a, a degrading of an experience. So that's why a lot of yogis use these Sanskrit words and he'll often say, well, here's the common translation and this is what we normally translate it as. And here's what it really should mean if we had a better translation. And then he might say, well, here's an explanation as to why these translations both are still not very adequate. And furthermore, Sanskrit just has a certain charm to it. It has a certain ethos around it. There's something sort of mystical about it. And there's a culture that goes along with spirituality. And you can't really sidestep that. It comes with it because each way of talking about something has a different way of talking about it depending on what the thing is. Words are nested in objects and their relationship to each other and the events of our lives. So if you have certain objects or processes or events that we've never experienced commonly in the West, then there's not going to be a word for it. There's a lapse in our language. And so that's why there's always these references and there's a glossary of terms for Sanskrit words all throughout this book, Inner Engineering. As for constructive criticism, I think this book is definitely good for introducing people. It probably goes more to introducing people to certain spiritual practices and processes than it does deter them. But the criticism I have is that the practices or the advice that he gives, the processes that you should do, often have a bit of a heavy assumption behind them, which is your willingness to do them, your ability to submit to them, your ability to be motivated for them. Now, he does address motivation in different ways from different angles, but you have to really be on board with the vision. Now, the book does help to get you on board, but the thing is that a lot of people aren't even aware of how they could even start doing certain practices. It's almost like the chicken or the egg, because to do the practices, you have to get yourself out of the way. And to get yourself out of the way, you have to do the practices. So to become motivated, you have to do the things that will make you motivated. And you have to be motivated in order to do the things that will make you motivated. So I don't know if he really addresses that conundrum very well. He sort of seems to assume that you're on board with it and you have this burning desire to learn. You have this seeking nature about you. But all the practices are very clear and he's very good at saying that some might suit you and some might not. He has a very good way of tying it into deep aspects of life. So it's a connection between simple processes, simple actions, and the broader picture of life, fundamental pictures of life. So this is your classic existential practice. This is your classic big picture and broad concepts or broad experiences being chipped away at and worked upon by small steps, these simple steps. So he's putting 
very large things into tiny little bite-sized pieces. It's like he's saying, here's Mount Everest and here's one step on the ladder. And he's putting those two together. He's bridging that quite well. Another thing that really struck me about this book, Inner Engineering, was just the example that Sadhguru is as a person who was really thirsty for life, really hungry for questions. And there's a point in the book where he's talking about how he was finding all these things really hollow, really empty. So he'd go to university and no one was saying things from the heart. No one was saying things that meant anything to them. So he'd skip class. And then he'd go to start a business or something and he'd do this or that. And he was always looking around for people who really believed in things. And he kept searching for answers. There's this massive search to get the most out of life. This desire to really take in reality through the senses. Every orifice, every pore of his being is just trying to soak in as much as possible. And I've never really heard of someone who was so strong in their will and power to take in life and get the most out of life. And that has left him with an incredible sense of ability and strength and knowledge and an authenticity that people just are absolutely drawn to. It really stretches so far outside of my tiny conceptions of what life is possible that it just breaks all boundaries. When you see someone, like you can ask yourself the question, what is possible in life? What is, what is the good life? What is, what is your ideal? If we could say that your ideal is the best life possible, the best thing to do with life. And then you can come up with a picture of that. You can come up with something pretty extravagant, pretty well. If you think about it and you really put some time into it, you could come up with something and you'd say, well, I'll never get there. It'd be very hard for me to get even close to that, but I can imagine it. But then comes along Sadhguru and he completely destroys that. He completely leaves that in the dust because he is so far beyond anything that you can even imagine that it's shocking. And that, in a sense, is paradigm shifting and a plus for this book, Inner Engineering, because it can just open you up to new experiences and new ideals and new images of what is possible and what is the limit and what is the good life. And if you can really see the truth of this book, then I think it will really knock your socks off. Now, of course, as with any guru or leader or spiritual figure, there's going to be a certain number of people that say he's a charlatan, he's a phony, he's a fake. Now, he might be a fake. I don't know. I've never met the man. I've never verified any of his claims. He doesn't seem to be academic in the sense that he's got official references or evidence to his fact. He's just a person saying what he thinks. But I think anyone who's so skeptical of these sorts of people simply don't have enough in their paradigm to 
or enough ability for them to account for different paradigms and different perspectives. If you are struggling to explain someone's perspective, then it means your paradigm is inadequate. If you are dismissing something and saying that something is completely false entirely, then that means your paradigm is inadequate. You at least need to be able to explain where it's coming from, why it exists in the way that it does, how it could be improved or where it's inadequate or some pros and some cons on either side without explaining away the whole thing. Now, if your paradigm can do that, then you're on board with at least taking in some of the truths that Sadhguru has to share. Now, of course, it's not for everyone. It simply might not resonate with you. There are all sorts of teachers and leaders throughout the world with very different personalities. You can find one that suits you, and maybe you think you've got it all figured out. Maybe you don't need a guru. Who am I to tell you you need a leader, you need a spiritual teacher, or any sort of teacher for that matter? But that's up to you. The responsibility is entirely for you. And if you want to say, well, he's a phony, he's a fake, without investigating, without finding out, and without even tentatively saying, well, what if this is true? What if is, what if he is saying is right? Well, then it's just your loss. You're just the one who's missed out. You're the one who's going to be looking around and everyone's poking their tongues out and you're caught with your pants down. You're the one that's going to be a little bit confused and catching up at the end of the day. The other counterexample that you can say to people who would be skeptical of Sadhguru would be, well, lots of people saw him. He's embedded in a culture. He's been talked about by multiple people. He's been witnessed by multiple people. There are all sorts of stories that get made up over time, but usually they come to light. Usually they're exposed, and usually they don't take any light. When people are trying to expound positive stories then usually people cut them down if they're false, if they're phony. But Sadhguru is embedded in a culture, he's embedded in a society, and these sorts of things have been happening to him over years. So I think at some point, someone would have tapped him on the shoulder and said, buddy, it's time for you to stop this act. I think just by how many people are drawn to him, it's clear that he's pretty authentic. It's not an act. He means what he says. And I think it's just incredible what he's done with the Isha Foundation. So Isha is Sadhguru's foundation. I've never been there. I'd love to visit one day, though. And it's basically a cultural force. It's like a religion, in a sense. Or it's the force of a huge corporation. He's got over a million volunteers. He's teaching hundreds of people how to do yoga, how to meditate, how to do spiritual practices. He's got certain spiritual processes and devices at his ashram, such as the Adiyogi statue. So that's the largest face face statue in the world. It's got the Guinness World Records for the largest face in the world. And he's also doing 
plant rejuvenation. So there's all these initiatives on planting trees. There's also renewable in it, renewable energy initiatives and all sorts of projects going on all over the place. Like he's just a whole force unto the culture that he's in for good. And who would want to criticize that? Who would want to undermine that? It's sort of like, what are you doing with your life? Who are you to criticize someone who is doing so much for their culture, for their country, and for the people around them? And of course now, Sadhguru is a superstar. He's a megastar. So he's spoken to all sorts of people on all sorts of world stages, all sorts of world leaders. So he's an absolute megastar now. And it's about time that the world is ready for someone like him to be in the limelight and for him to be upholding the certain deeper values that people need to take up, think about, confront, and realize that there are answers to these questions. Inner Engineering by Sadhguru. It's an incredible book. Definitely left me feeling like I should meditate more. I should also learn to do yoga properly. I'm still just an amateur at yoga. But apparently the results you can get are quite outstanding. And I've had a little bit of a taste of it. Which is another thing that Sadhguru talks about is that you don't have to go all the way. There is a difference between having balance and going all the way as to becoming a master and having full self-mastery. A lot of people who are involved in his institution simply interested in just having a bit of balance, having a bit more, having a little bit more of an understanding is enough for them to get going and it can work wonders for them. The other thing I wanted to say was that he's got a funny sense of humor. He's got a great sense of humor. Now it's a very unique sense of humor. He tells jokes in a very particular way. So it might not resonate with you. It might not be good for you, but he's at least got these jokes in there that make you laugh. And some of them also have a moral behind them or a story behind them. And he's got a very unique way of telling these jokes. So it, they might be hit or miss. You might like them or you might not, but you'll have to read it to find out. At least he's got a humorous side. At least he knows his funny side. He's also quite famous on YouTube. So if you just want to get a taste of what Sadhguru is like, then you can listen to his talks on YouTube. He's actually very famous on YouTube now. I think he's got over 2 million followers. And a lot of the jokes he tells on there and a lot of the insights he shares on there are also in this book. So there's a lot of crossover between the book and his YouTube channel. And I get the sense that the book was written, I guess, in a sense, written by him, but also spoken by him. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, I don't know if this is the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's spoken this book and someone's edited it, because he really does speak that clearly. You get a very strong sense of his voice coming through in the book from the page. So what can we do but learn from those greater than us? People have paved the way and we're left to pick up all the pieces. I can only imagine what it's like to be around someone like Sadhguru and to meet him in person. I don't know what I would do if that ever happened to me. There are certain stories that he shares where 
he would walk into a room and everyone would just burst into tears. And it might sound a bit far-fetched, a bit out there, but now that I've got to understand what is surrounding this person and what he's like and the sort of stories that are associated with him, I can understand why people would do that. I could see how that would happen. It's taken me a long time to be open-minded to understand these sort of things. And in a sense, I'm at an advantage because I have psychological maps which explain certain levels of psychological development and spiritual development. And they can put someone like Sadhguru in their correct place, in their correct rung on the ladder. And they're nested within a certain hierarchy of certain values or they have certain webs of values. It's not necessarily hierarchical analysis, but it's certain. there are certain values which are ascribed to people of his calibre. And it's not uncommon to know what those values are. Values like holism, values like humanitarianism, values like community, like multidimensional thinking, multi-perspectival thinking, an understanding of the history, but not the dogma of history. These sorts of qualities are quite normal in people who are for example, either integral on the Gene Gibser model of psychological development or stage turquoise on the spiral dynamics psychological model. And if you look at integral theory itself, then it's perfectly understandable where Sadhguru is coming from and how he fits into there. Integral theory perfectly explains people like Sadhguru. But that's not to say that it takes away the charm of him. It doesn't take away the personality of him because we're all in our own way expressing our sense of soul uniquely. So I don't mean to degrade the uniqueness of a person by putting them into a psychological map. I'm just trying to say that you don't have to be so skeptical as to dismiss him as a charlatan because it's perfectly understandable where he's coming from. But that doesn't make it any less amazing, less incredible what it is that he's done and what he's experienced. So I get no affiliate marketing for this. I don't get any affiliate marketing for anything I do on this podcast. But I thought I'd talk about this book because it's an incredible book. And if you want to know more about it, just go and read it. I sincerely hope you've enjoyed listening to this conversation. That's all I have to say for now.